ABF Creative. Welcome back to another No Pressure. I got a treat for y'all. Today I am interviewing Chris Gillibull, who is a multiple times New York Times bestseller. <laughs> um, he wrote a book called The Money Tree. So in this interview, I'm really getting down to the nitty gritty. And hopefully I was able to get you so many gems out of the interview alone. So just make sure you listen to the entire thing. But um, definitely go out and buy the book, The Money Tree. Uh, If you're creative in the year 2021, you need as many uh, tools in your arsenal as possible, especially about getting this coin. So I encourage everyone listening to this to definitely go cop the money tree by Chris Gillibull. Uh, and it's a story. It's a story. So it's written as a narrative. It's not necessarily written as a, a regular business book where you're just getting the, the tips, step one, step two, and all these different things. The story is supposed to teach you. So by reading the story, you learn. Um, I recorded this interview at the top of the pandemic. So this is when things was really crazy in the world. Uh, but I wanted you guys to hear this. I didn't want to move on to all the newer interviews and newer episodes without me really making sure you guys got some of the gems that were kind of unreleased. Uh, so these are like my, my lost tapes, <laughs> uh, but definitely enjoy the interview. Um, I'm looking for feedback. So any feedback you got, even though this is an older episode that you guys didn't hear, I'm open to all feedback. Let me know what you're trying to hear. Let me know what you're trying to learn. Um, let me put myself in the hot seat. That's what no pressure is going to be. You know, it's going to be about me putting myself in a hot seat, being vulnerable, learning the things that I want to learn. And hopefully you learn in the process. Uh, with that being said, enjoy the interview and I'll talk to you next week. Peace. It's a pleasure to reconnect with you, man. And and yeah, bro, sure, you, man. You, hey, I sent you a copy of the book. I don't know if you got it yet. I heard there was some problems with the warehouse at uh, Random House, which is not surprising since they're in New York too. But yeah. supposedly they're sending out another copy, so hopefully you'll get it soon. Let me know if you don't. Oh, okay. No, no problem. No problem. Um, it's it's. I've still been reading it. Um, I've been reading your book, man. First of all, how many New York Times bestselling books do you have by now? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> New York Times, I don't have that many. I think I just have two or three of those. But yeah, this is like number seven total of books. Oh man. How do you how do you get the product? How do you tap into the productivity to write books, man? What does that come from? Oh, uh, it's just what I like to do, man. I mean, this one's totally different. You know, as you know, like this is fiction, right? So yeah. I've never done that before. This was a very different process. But otherwise, I just try to um I try to keep on this calendar of like with my publishers in terms of like one book comes out and we're making a plan for the next one. And then I have a certain deadline and just having those deadlines tends to help me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to get into the book actually. I've been reading it. I didn't finish it. So, um, but I've been reading it and I, first of all, I have a a lot of stuff I want to get into with it, but I want to start by, you know, there are a lot of aspiring authors who Mm. who are most likely going to hear this podcast. And so, uh, what's the, you know, it's 2020 now and yep. we, you know, self-publishing has grown. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure access to publishers uh, is a little bit more. Uh, publishers are a little bit more accessible in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's what's advice you would give to an independent author in 2020? Uh-huh. You know, in some ways, I'm not sure that the advice has changed a lot. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, different platforms change and mediums and like tactics and such. But I remember I, I first had this conversation with my literary agent, who's still my agent. But back in like 2008, when I was writing The Art of Nonconformity, uh, which mm-hmm. became my first book, and basically everything that you just said in terms of like uh, self-publishing is, you know, getting bigger and like this has changed with traditional publishers, et cetera, et cetera. I said almost exactly the same thing to him. And I was like, man, do, is like, do you think, uh, you know, books will still be around, you know, in two years or whatever? And he said, he's like, basically people have been asking me this question for, you know, five or 10 years already. So... I feel like, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, right, like books are relevant. Books are content. Books are, you know, have a message. They inform, they inspire, they educate, um, they entertain. And so I think, you know, for any aspiring authors, like I mean, people sometimes say, is this a good time to be an author? Like, I don't know about that, whether it's a good time or a bad time. It's just mm-hmm. like, if you have something that you want to get out to the world, I don't think you should be hindered or feel like, there's some kind of market force, you know, that's, that's preventing you from doing it or nobody's going to care about books. I mean, I think we all have the same challenges in terms of like Netflix and everything else out there that's immediately accessible and like every game on your iPhone and stuff like those are the bigger challenges. But in terms of, um, you, know, w- you know, which direction you go with your publishing and all that stuff, and we can, we can talk about it. Um, but for me, I just wanted to, when I started, I just wanted to write, I wanted to write books. I wanted to like put something out there and I spent, you know, probably the past decade annoying my publishers with lots of questions. And like, <laughs> if they don't give me an answer that's satisfactory, I, I just keep asking, you know, yeah. and when I say satisfactory, I don't necessarily mean like I'm getting what I want all the time. It's just, I don't like answers that, that are kind of opaque or they don't really tell you. So like there's a, you know, there's information out there. And if anybody's ever being like deliberate and hiding that, then to me, it's kind of like, Oh, that's really interesting. What, what's going on with that? Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, it's funny you say that because that's the that's the mind state people have about money mm. and advice around money in in mm. general and I'm and I'm I'm curious as to why you wrote this book but you know yeah. before we get into that I it reminds me of I like books that teach lessons mm-hmm. um that aren't actually business books so yep. like you learn the lesson through the story and so mm-hmm. the books that remind me of that is the way of the peaceful warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one he wrote called the journeys of Socrates. Mm-hmm. And the one that reminds me of your book um, so far is a book called um, the richest man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's a little bit of a subgenre uh, of like using fiction or using storytelling to teach these lessons and I knew when I started the process, I was like, okay, I like this idea. I want to create like a fictional universe and, you know, have these people be kind of composites of like, you know, actual life and the struggles that people are experiencing. And my goal is for people to read the book and, you know, like, obviously you're familiar with my work and like we work in the same space. So you read it, yeah. you probably kind of, you can tell what I'm trying to do with it. But my goal is for somebody to pick it up who's never heard of me, who doesn't read business books, like you said, and they just kind of get into the story. And then maybe at the end they realize, or maybe at some point throughout, they're like, oh, I can, I can actually learn something, you know, through this yeah. in terms of like the main character struggle, Jake, he, you know, he's 
basically got all these student loans, like so many people out there, lots of debt, and it's affecting all of his life and his relationship, his day job, all that stuff. And he has to kind of find his way out. And so yeah. my hope is that people, um, you know, will kind of see themselves in that position and then also see like the scrappiness, you know, that he uses to, to find a way out and to start making more money and such. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I, one decision I had to make in the beginning was how much, what is the balance, right? Between like the characters in the story and what I hope to teach. And I think people approach that a little bit differently depending on like what their, you know, what their perspective is or, or how they choose to navigate that. For me, I wanted to go like 80% story. I wanted mm. to, I, did, I didn't want to like, you come to the end of the chapter and it's like, you know, the three bullet points, <laughs> bullet points. Like, reminding you, you know, <laughs> just in case you missed it, you know, in case you didn't see what I just said on the last page, I'm going to tell you one more time, you know, like I, I, um, I wanted to just like keep, keep the focus on the story. Cool. So I want to touch on, if possible, a few themes that are in the book. And of course, mm. we're not going to give away the story, but I think these are, you know, for what we're going to do is go over some of these themes for those listening. And so you should definitely check out the book to uh, to get more in depth on how he's teaching this to you, because when you read it, it's going to be embedded in you because um, it's in the story. But you talk about goal setting mm-hmm. and and why it's important to take immediate action. And so, like, why is immediate action so important when it's in goal setting, in your opinion? I think because immediate action is rewarding. Immediate action is immediately rewarding. You know, if you spend a long time planning something without doing it, then you don't necessarily see that payoff until later. When I say payoff, it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to take action and all of a sudden get rich or something, but Mm -hmm. you see progress and and progress itself is motivating. Like once you have that little milestone or you have, like we had another another book uh, before Side Hustle from idea to action or Mm -hmm. idea to income in 27 days. And my approach there was like, from day one, you know, all the way through 27, you're going to see this, this progress and just the, the small steps along the way that contributes to your sense of being able to keep going. Because I think a lot of people stop, you know, if they have like, if they have the 27 steps, but you know, step 27 is okay. Now it's time to like, you know, tell somebody about this or now it's mm-hmm. time to release this or whatever, then they never get there because they're, you know, they just, they get stuck somewhere. They're afraid they're insecure. They have imposter syndrome you know, what, whatever it is. Um, so immediate action rewards, immediate action provides immediate uh, reassurance. Yeah. And it's so easy today because of the internet to mm-hmm. get a page up. You know, one thing is that the character in the story, he gets a, he it's very easy for him to start his ideas because mm-hmm. he's just using the internet. He's like, well, I can just mm-hmm. get a landing yep. page. I can do this. I can do that. And so mm-hmm. um, there's really no, a low barrier to entry for the most part. Exactly. Low barrier to entry, not spending a lot of money. And in the book, um, so one of the, the challenges he has first, like he goes to this group called the Third Way, and everybody else there is is trying to start one of these money making projects. And some of them want to quit their job. Some of them are trying to get out of debt. Others are just like, well, I've got this, you know, job in an office all day. I want to do something creative, you know, with some of my spare time. Um, but they're all trying to do this without going into debt or without spending money and doing it quickly. And so after his first meeting, uh, Jake gets this challenge from the guy who runs it, kind of his mentor. And uh, Clarence, the mentor, says, okay, Jake, you know, next week, by, by the time next next meeting arrives, I want you to make $1,000. And at first, Jake is like, well, you know, how do I do? If I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be coming here in the first place. Right. right. Um, but they kind of like talk it out. And so like um, he ends up reselling some of his old college textbooks, economics textbooks on eBay. 
And then from there, he learns like to pay attention to other auctions that are closing and looking at the price and doing this whole arbitrage thing. And so what's funny, man, is like, this is what I did myself, I don't know, 21 years ago. Um, when I first started working for myself, it was like buying and selling stuff on eBay. Mm -hmm. And that same pathway is available now with even like more platforms. You know, people are doing clothes on Poshmark and got um, all these exactly. different networks eBay. and such. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's not like this is going to be your business for the rest of your life or something, but it is accessible. It is accessible. It is, you know, everybody's got stuff in their house that they can sell. Like pretty much anybody listening to this, let's say, just about everybody who you know, is, is in America or, you know, listening to this, not from a very poor country, you probably have something you can sell. And exactly. so if you start with that, um, then maybe that will open up some door to something else. And then yeah. eventually you can go on to grow and maybe change things up. But that first thing is important. And, and another theme you touched on um, in the book is getting specific. And, you know, we always hear that quote where if you try to please everyone, you end up mm. pleasing no one. That's right. Um, and so, in business, especially when you're trying to start these small, you know, uh, very, you know, niche businesses that can make mm -hmm. a lot of money, somebody may be thinking, well, if I don't reach enough people, yeah. how am I going to make a lot of money? So why, what's the importance of getting specific, even for a small side hustle? You know, that's like a logical fallacy that a lot of people have is they, they look and they're like, oh, this market has, you know, 10 million people uh, or whatever. If I only reach 1%, of that market. If I sell to 1%, then I'm going to be like, you know, very well off. And the thing is, you're not going to sell to 1%, you know, you're not going to sell to like 1% of the 1%. Um, and, and so like, you know, for, for me, I, I have this podcast, you know, side hustle school, and I'm telling all these different stories of people who start really interesting and sometimes bizarre projects um, mm. to make money. And often the, the more specific they are, um, then like, like the more they're able to actually reach people who are like, that's me, like, that's not for everybody else out there. But that thing is, you know, that thing is, is for me. Just yeah. told the story of this guy who was like a pancake artist and he was like working as a line cook in St. Louis in the middle of the night and started doing this pancake art at different events. And now he was like, you know, traveling the world and doing events in Dubai and making a lot of money. Oh, um, wow. This guy who does like a blog about plants and he really specializes in, in like carnivorous plants, like Venus flytrap and all that. And you think this is like the most specific market, like the market <laughs> of like plant lovers who mostly like these specific types of plants. But yeah. his whole point was like, I'm going to make the Wikipedia of this thing and nobody else is going to, you know, do this. And uh, eventually he built this little platform where people are buying and selling on it and he earns a commission from all of them. So I think actually wow. the more specific, uh, the, the better often. Yeah. Yeah. People need to shake out of that, including myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna lie. Like I still fall victim to the, Oh man, this market is like 17 million. Literally right. before I got off the phone, before I even got on here with you, I was talking to somebody. Like, Yo, I just landed a big partnership and 17 million people a month go to this thing. If I could just get 1%, I literally yeah, said exactly the 1%. Right. Exactly. I literally right. said it. it. It never works out that way, man. It never, it never does. You always think, out. you always think like, that's all I need to do is like this tiny percentage, but yeah. Nah. And so the next thing that you touch on in the book, which I thought was important, um, is authority. Um, mm -hmm. And authority uh, is usually when people feel like they, they have to have like a college degree mm -hmm. in, yeah. in a subject in order to feel like they're an authoritative person on air. Um, yeah. But the character in the book takes authority on head on. Like, what's your advice to someone who feels mm -hmm. like, they don't, you know, they may have this, this thing in their head they know how to do, but they don't feel like they're an authority on it. How do you get past that hump? 
Yeah, um, well, so let's feel think like about some of the some of these examples. Like yeah. the, the pancake artist, you know, does anybody care if that guy went to college? You know, <laughs> like the the guy with the plants, like his knowledge that that his authority is is that he's passionate about this topic and that's what he cares about and he has has therefore learned a lot about it. Yeah. You know, I think if you if you want to be a doctor, right, then it's probably important that you go through a traditional path. You can't just be like, oh, you know, I watched some YouTube videos and now I'm ready to like go and do surgery. But aside from something like that, you know, so many other things. And what, what matters is, does someone have the expertise, you know, do they have the ability to, you know, teach that somehow or extract it in some way that could become a product or a service, some kind of coaching, consultation, you know, ebook, podcast, blog, you know, whatever it is. And I really think just about everybody has that. And sometimes yeah. you have to talk it through with people, you have to, because people think, oh, I don't have anything like that. And then you just have a conversation like, well, let's talk about what do you do every day? You know, what do you do every day? Uh, if time and money like were no object, how would you spend your day? They usually end up talking about some kind of hobby or something that they're just into. I'm into like you know collecting records. I'm into like you know this particular video game. Uh, I like I don't know whatever it is like um, mm -hmm. geocaching or something. Like there is something somewhere that it's probably you know even if it's a random topic, you're not the only one who's interested in it. Yeah. So from there, it's just a matter of like what's the adaptation? What is the deliverable that we can exactly. pull from that knowledge? I used to, I heard this quote a while ago and I don't know where it originates. It says in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. <laughs> right. Exactly. So a little like, knowledge, a little knowledge goes a long way often. Right? Exactly. He's like, all you need to do is have one eye open and every uh -huh. blind person will be like, you are the, you are the one. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. Or it's um, also like, if you're teaching, it's like, it's like the teacher who reads one chapter ahead, you know, every day. Like exactly. the, teacher, the teacher is just like barely ahead of the students, but that's okay. It doesn't matter because they're technically ahead. Exactly. I used to, you know, I should have had that. I had a teacher who just graduated college and, and none of the students respected her but uh -huh. <laughs> because they thought, well, she's just like me. But no, uh -huh. you know, even if she did read the textbook last night, she still was a teacher. It doesn't matter. Right. She Maybe still it's because she was a little bit young or something like that. She was close to the same age. Exactly. She was. Yeah. She'd be hanging Sorry. out with us and everything. So, yeah. um, so the, in the and I got, I got the last one, the last theme I, I thought was really hilarious that you covered in a book is like the smell test, the grandparent test. And oh, it's yeah. like, if you can't explain it to your grandparents, then it's probably not a good idea. Like, could you expand on that? What, what, what do you mean? Yeah. By that? The idea is like, so I use the phrase, the grandparent test, um, and which, which let me just be clear is not to like make fun of old people. I have to clarify that because some people have asked me that like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that old people don't know anything. I'm saying that, um, Imagine somebody who doesn't know anything about your specific topic. Like, let's say you're into blockchain or Bitcoin or something like this, something that a lot of people don't understand. Um, I, I think even a complex topic, if you're selling a product or providing a service, um, there has to be a way to, to distill it in a pretty short, you know, one or two sentence description. And if and that, that anybody can understand, your grandma, your grandparent, your grandpa, whoever. And um, if you have trouble doing that, that's, that's a sign, like you just said. It doesn't mean it's a terrible idea, but it's definitely a sign that you haven't figured it out yet. Like you still have yeah. more work to do with it um, because, you know, you should be able to explain what a blockchain database is, you know, to anybody if that's, if that's your thing or, you know, whatever your thing is, um, there has to be a way to, to make it simple and make it simple and also benefit driven. Like why should people care? You know, why should yeah. your grandma care about blockchain? Well, if there's a way to kind of position it as, well, this knowledge is actually helping, you know, like the healthcare industry and it's going to like lower costs and help people get better care. It's like, okay, that's interesting. You know, tell me more about that. But if it's just like, oh, it's just cool technology, you know, then that's, that's not interesting. <laughs> exactly. You don't make it like, it's, I feel like it's the grown up version of explaining to me like I'm five years old. 
Yeah, that's and good. That's like, also a good. I mean, so it could be your your ninety year old grandparent or your five year old kid, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Man, this is this man. You dropped a lot of gems, and, it, and <laughs> believe it or not, like we've been speaking for like 20, 23 minutes, and it and it seems like it's only been five. Um, nice. Man, I think the the I guess I would say like the what the last question I would ask you. Um, you know, people are worried about money. I think most people are going to b- bounce back. Um, yep. There are a lot of people who are going to make a lot of money from reading your book. And then there are people who are already making a lot of money who might be listening to this. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask you, you know, what do you feel like is the number one personal finance mistake that uh, mm. people are making today? And, and how can we correct that and course correct mm. that? Yeah, this is a good question. Let me just think about it for a second. Sure. I'll give you, a, give, you a, give you an actual answer. Um, I think, so we are in this time, like we touched on briefly, of there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of folks mm-hmm. are worried and, and anxious. And, and um, even if you're in a situation where you're relatively secure, I, I think all of us have been kind of disturbed, you know, at just mm-hmm. like, wow, like I, a lot of stuff that I thought, you know, was true is not, you know, like even, even if you already like believe that, you know, the government is, is messed up, you know, for years now, you still don't think that like this kind of pandemic can have this reach, you know, um, in the United States and around the world and, and be so disruptive that all of us are like locked down in our homes. And like, it's just something that none of us really imagined except in a, a novel or a movie or something. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, maybe a, the biggest mistake is, is to not, to, to like, to not look at that and say, what does this mean for me? What is mm. this? Like, what change can I make during this time? How can I adapt? Because, there's always like winners and losers in everything. And so, you know, this is the thing I've been talking about a lot, but I just keep going back to it because I think it's so important. When there's progress in any area, whether it is healthcare, education, technology, whatever, then some people end up losing just by the nature of progress. Like you, yeah. you kind of make one technology, the old technology is obsolete. So you don't want to be like with the old. So yeah. the same is true when there's disruption, like disruption and disorder, people are harmed, all these negative effects, but there are also you know, industries that benefit, you know, like, like we're talking right now on Zoom, you know, did you see that Zoom had had 10 million users in December of 2019? And then in April of 2020, they have 200 million yeah, users that's wild. from 10 million to two. It's like enormous. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously anything to do with like web conferencing, remote, all these companies are learning how to work remotely and they never did before. So there's tremendous need there. This is just one example, right? So I don't mean to go off on this example. The point is like in this time of uncertainty and chaos and such, you know, what is it, how, what change are you going to make and how are you going to build more security for yourself? Whether you're in a situation like feeling kind of panicked uh, or if you're in a situation, you're still doing okay, but you realize like, wow, this is not the same world that it was even a few months ago. So what do I want to do so that when I look back on this time, which we're all going to remember, I look back on this time, I want to say, Oh, I used that time to do something for myself that I mm. I might not have actually taken action on, but for the fact that you know the whole world ended up changing and I decided to change too. Mm. I love it, man. I love it. This is this is something that the investment isn't always about money. Sometimes yeah. it's about you know skills. Sometimes it's about habit. You know, and, and all these other things. And so I 100 percent agree. Thank you so much, man. Man, dude, thank you so much. Hopefully we get a chance to do another, uh, we were actually supposed to do on this tour. I was going to go on a pretty safe tour after this book. I'm really looking forward to going over here.